Welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast, where we discuss caregiving topics to build knowledge and experience to be more confident and more effective care partners and caregivers. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. I am a movement disorder and Parkinson's disease specialist in private practice. I'm also a care partner for my mom battling Parkinson's disease. Welcome to season two. Thank you for your support of this podcast. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. For this last month, our focus has been on cognitive changes of Parkinson's disease as well as dementia. We are going to transition into other behavioral side effects of medications and symptoms of Parkinson's disease that can cause symptoms such as hallucinations, delusional thoughts, and other psychoses. And so today I'm sharing with you an interview with a caregiver named Sharon. Sharon has been caring for her husband battling Parkinson's disease now for 14 years. Sharon uh, shared with us some of the experiences that she's had with both the cognitive changes and the psychosis that she has witnessed in her husband and how she approached these problems, some of the advice that she would like to share with other caregivers. And I think she provides uh, some great insight into how we can approach and receive help when we need it in battling some of these really difficult situations in more advanced Parkinson's patients. So I hope you enjoy the interview today with Sharon, and we will transition after this episode into discussions regarding psychosis of Parkinson's disease, as well as the new treatments that we have in treating psychoses. Thank you for joining this podcast. Well, Sharon, thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Uh, It's so good to have you uh, with us today. Thank you. Well, I want to start by just asking you as a care partner and and now more of a caregiver uh, for your husband, can you give us sort of a a background of of what what life was like for the two of you um, early on with Parkinson's disease, you know, once he got on treatment and, and things seemed to be going pretty well, can you give us a little background on what life was like for the two of you? Sure. Well, uh, my husband was diagnosed, uh, we're in our 14th year, beginning our 14th year, and we have been very fortunate and blessed that primarily for about the first 12 years, unless you really knew if you were a medical professional or unless you had personally experienced a Parkinson's uh, patient before, you really would not have noticed that there was much uh, different about his physical behavior or mental or any, any other way. We've just been very blessed. Uh, We were able to be diagnosed early and were able to start a treatment with dopamine, which managed uh, all of the Parkinson's symptoms. And 
as I said, we were very blessed. Uh, my husband was able to carry on with normal routine of activities and doing the things that he enjoyed, uh, very physically active, uh, mentally very much the same that he had been his entire life. And uh, it was pretty much just a normal life up until the last couple of years. And okay. both my husband and I have been very grateful. Well, so when he was diagnosed, was he retired at that point? Uh, he was not retired. He was still in a professional career okay. as an engineer. Okay. And uh, because of the diagnosis, he was able to set an early retirement date. Okay. And retired shortly thereafter. But but even in those first 12 years, it sounds like he was very physically active, but also very capable of um, any type of cognitive um, activities that came his way. Yes, he was. Okay. He, uh, although he retired, he was still uh, serving on our church board, an active member, able to fulfill his obligations in that regard, and just every other way. Uh, up until the last couple of years, he was very much himself. Okay. What, was he also handling the, the family finances and paying bills and so forth? Yes, he was. Okay. He's, he has always done that, uh, part of the responsibility, and uh, managed perfectly well with no assistance. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so what what was the first change that you noticed um cognitively uh, here in the last several years um, with him? Mostly just confusion about dates, where we are going, what the schedule is, what we're doing, um, what what's going on with the schedule, mostly. Okay. Uh, I see. Uh, could you tell that there was a change in his short-term memory at all? Yes, the forgetfulness. Okay. Um, just and, and it's not a lot of things that I can specifically point out. It would be mostly, oh, I forgot that. And uh, as those, oh, I forgots begin to pile up, you see an indication that there's really something else going on. Okay. Um, were there any other events that happened? That, that sort of made you more concerned about a cognitive change in him? Um, there's not a lot of specifics prior to the last two years. Um, I noticed um, it was probably, it's probably been about four or five years ago. Uh, he had a, and I don't know that it's specifically cognitive or just a part of his Parkinson's progression. He had a, a, a car accident um, where he said he fell asleep driving. And uh, that was a very traumatic event because he was also driving with our grandchildren in the car. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's probably been the last four years that we've really watched just kind of a broad spectrum of symptoms. And hopefully nobody was hurt in the accident? No, no one was hurt, Good. but it was definitely a red flag 
for uh, future decisions. Right. So did he stop driving after that event or did he continue to drive? After that event, he did continue to drive. However, uh, I never, he never drove with grandchildren again. And I did not have him drive by himself because as a caregiver, I can observe him and I know when he should not be driving and when he should. And, and I say that because uh, of that time period, four to five years ago, but now is a different, a different situation. Okay. And so tell us, tell us what sort of happened. I know he was getting um, higher doses of dopamine for his uh, tremor and for his motor symptoms of Parkinson's. And as the medication was being increased, uh, some new problems developed. Can you share with us some of those uh, challenges that you guys faced here in the last couple of years? Sure. Um, as the Parkinson's progressed, we did uh, try to uh, compensate with just uh, higher doses of med- medication. And I think that both my husband and I were trying to reach a goal of where we had been the last number of years, not allowing for actual progression of the disease. So as we tried to increase medication levels to compensate for that, began to notice some very unusual things coming up, like uh, uh, perhaps the most minor was just being extremely anxious, uh, concerned about things that had never bothered him before. Um, like, like what, like what would you say? Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to think of specific examples. Uh, maybe, maybe things like, uh, did we lock the doors or did, did we pay those bills or have we, uh, you know, like, have we paid the insurance on the car? Just things that he would never have been concerned about because cognitively he knew. So just very minor things, being anxious. And then um, then he became, uh, I think that anxiousness maybe progressed toward uh, being fearful of things. And um, just just an abnormal behavior for him, just generally anxious and fearful. And then as we progressed along and and this brings to a very recent recent history of uh like the the early fall um he began to have um hallucinations which we had never experienced and if if a caregiver has never been at that point with a parkinson's patient it's new and it's as a caregiver, it's extremely upsetting and and fearful because I didn't know what was going on. We we had never walked that path, and 
when you as a caregiver initially see fear and terror in the eyes of the patient, um, it's just hard to describe that. Uh, And I didn't, I'd never been there. I did not know that that could be a result of either progression of the disease or uh, over medication. So uh, at that point, it was more uh, trying to figure out why are we here at this point and where do we go from here? Right. And and what were, what was he seeing that was so terrifying for him? Did he feel like okay. someone was breaking into the home or or someone was coming to get him or Right. The very first time, the very first time uh there were pe- well, no, I take that back. The very first time he had been outside working and uh came into the house, running into the house and locked the doors. And, which was highly unusual, highly. Yeah, sure. And uh, said people were trying to uh, steal his truck, and people were in our yard. And because we live in a rural setting, for 30 years, there's never been anybody in our yard. And so, you know, those were immediately red flags. Um, and he said, I've I've locked some of those people in the barn and they're trying to get out. See, see, they're trying to push on the door. And of course, none of that was real and uh, absolutely a new situation. And, you know, initially you, because it was new for me as well, you try to calm them down and say, well, you know, I tried to appeal to his logic. You know, we've been there, been here for 30 years and no one's ever been in the yard. No one's ever tried to steal your truck. Um, and I think one of the most disturbing parts about it is I couldn't reach the logic. Yeah. He didn't didn't believe what I was telling him. Right, right. And so how did you de-escalate that particular situation? Did it... Did did it sort of calm down after a while, or did you have to uh, call the police to uh, yeah. reassure him? No, that 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 continued through the evening because that was again my first experience. And then that evening, there were uh, people in the house. They got in the house. They were sitting on the couch, uh, and and initially they were kind of scary and menacing people, not just a normal person sitting there. And because I've never experienced that, because uh, I am a person of faith, my first reaction was to reach out to our closest friends and ask them to pray for us because I just, I didn't know what was going on. And then because the only thing I could come up with, uh, I, I halted the medication that we were on and just tried to uh, go back to a, a reset point where I knew that there was nothing influencing him, um, no medication, 
just tried to calm everything down and take a little break and uh, tried to just do normal things that you might try to do to help somebody relax. Let's get a hot shower. Let's relax. Let's get you ready for bed. Just try to calm down. And with with no medication, with the medication working its way out of his system and just kind of relaxing and winding down, that kind of diffused everything and he was able to relax. And and that particular night, I could tell, although he was in bed, I was with him and I could tell the specific time that his body relaxed and he was able to to, uh, to rest without being fearful or anxious. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know um, that must have been a very uh, scary situation for you. And, and, and you probably felt very alone, isolated, and um, just not knowing how to help him exactly. And you did a fantastic job figuring that out um, on your own. Um, as as these hallucinations came back and continued to be a problem, did you find other solutions to try to help redirect him or calm him down if if he became fearful again? Well, it's been a learning curve since um, I think the first examples I was giving you started around October, and we're now. March, several months into it, it's been a learning curve. Uh, It took a while to identify that we were really um, over-medicated because we were seeking that normal that we had known before. And as we progressed through some more extremely difficult hallucinations, we, we reached out to deal with those hallucinations with our uh, doctor to manage the, the drugs we were taking. So those drugs uh, that deal specifically with um, hallucinations did help. Um, but I think we were still at a, a level of dopamine medication that was too high and so it was kind of a a balancing act of where are we on uh, drugs that are dealing with hallucinations and where are we on our dopamine and trying to to balance the two of those and what there might be a time that we needed to again halt our dopamine to balance that out and uh and, and what would happen to him if he didn't take as much dopamine? Um, tell us a little bit about the tremors and, and and what he was experiencing when the dopamine was low, but yet the hallucinations and confusion at that point were better. Okay. Um, when the when his medication was lower, uh, it it seemed to resolve a great number of the hallucinations. The hallucinations would uh, still be there, but they were not as um, menacing or scary. Um, And then the 
the uh, medications for the hallucinations did help. Um, resolved a lot of the the fearfulness. However, uh, with a lower dopamine, uh, he's had a tremor that is relatively uncontrolled most of the time. But the even in discussion with him, the number one priority is to get rid of the hallucinations. He deals with a little bit of the the physical effects of Parkinson's, the tremor, sometimes not moving as well, uh, not not a walk and and stride as well, in order to compensate for the getting rid of hallucinations. But as a caregiver, I found out that if you are blessed to have a doctor who gives you the tools, meaning the proper amount of dopamine or the proper amount of drugs to uh, fight hallucinations. As a caregiver, I found I have the tools, but the most important part is watching my husband because he will give me the clues and I watch for things that are that would be out of ordinary, like, did you hear that sound? Did you hear that? Or uh, did you feel that? And as a caregiver, when I hear those clues, I know that we need to adjust something. Uh, we need to either adjust his dopamine medication, you know, reduce it or just take a little break from it. And that prevents us from getting to a point of something major. And likewise, on the other hand, although I've been given tools to fight the hallucinations, we also need to watch the levels there because when he was over-medicated with, um, the anti-hallucination drugs, it caused him problems at night. He would have really bad dreams um, that were disturbing. I mean, completely out of the ordinary for him, nothing we'd experienced. And I discovered that if we just back those drugs down a little bit, that resolved that situation. And he was able to rest and not have bad dreams. So, you know, the biggest thing I've found is, again, like I said, if you are blessed with a doctor who gives you the right tools, if you just watch the patient, I believe you can pick up on clues that are helpful on, okay, at this time we we need to reduce the dopamine or perhaps we need we can raise the dopamine now or perhaps we need to reduce the drugs for hallucinations, but the most important thing I've found is just watching him and watching for clues on, on how I need to help him. Okay, great. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. Um, when, when he would report hallucinations to you as you were experiencing that buildup or that beginning phase of the hallucinations, 
Um, how would you talk to him about the hallucinations? Did you, did you ever try to talk him out of it? Did you uh, try to distract him and change the subject? What was your approach to helping him at the time he was reporting? Okay. <laughs> and I, for all those caregivers who might feel that they're doing the wrong thing or not being good, I'm just going to state up front that it was difficult for me to learn to be extremely patient because some of the things were so outlandish, you know, like um, he he would say, that I can give several specific examples. He would say his feet were bothering him and he obsessed over his feet and look, Look at my feet. There are worms coming out of my skin. Look at that. And I just, like I said, I have to admit, I was not as as patient as I should have been. I dismissed it and I said, that is silly. We've never had worms in your feet. And I could tell that I had crossed the line with him because he was hurt and said, why do you just dismiss what I'm telling you? And I had to take a step back and do some things that I felt were kind of silly. I said, okay, if you feel something's wrong with your feet, let's go see the doctor. And we actually went to the urgent care. And I was so thankful that we got a really good doctor who saw his chart, saw that he had Parkinson's, and he just talked him through it. He said, uh, you know, I understand how you're feeling, that I don't see any evidence uh, of any worms. There's nothing that in your chart that indicates you've had a problem. So I was very thankful for a good doctor, and that helped him. I mean, took a trip to the urgent care, but it made him feel like I was taking his problems seriously. And then, um, you know, that it's all been a learning curve. And then one of the next times, uh, it just even got more bizarre. You know, I have, we have to go to the doctor. I have to do something. I have worms in my throat. Look, get a flashlight. And I didn't respond very well with that. It was a learning curve. And I, as a caregiver, when you're just a normal person, things that are absolutely irrational, it was hard in the beginning to be patient. But I learned it was real to him. And I did try to, you know, really talk very gently and patiently, you know, that that had never happened before. There was no reason that it should happen right now. And, you know, tried to tried to reason with him. But on the other hand, again, I just halted the medication because I'd learned at that point that that was a direct result of being a little over medicated. And those were... That was like in November and December 
and I was still on that learning curve. Um, so, so just trying to be patient and, and turning down medication. So did, did he ever, um, escalate his emotions, uh, in the sense of, uh, becoming, you know, very agitated or irritated or, um, you know, not not in a physical sense, but maybe even in a verbal sense, just being very about what was going on. Did he? Did it ever escalate to that type of moment? The, no, I. Again, I have to say I am very thankful that the person he's always been is the person he is now. He he's always been extremely patient and wise and kind and those personality characteristics are still there however he did he wasn't patient like why don't you believe me um but he was never you know verbally mean or abusive in any way that's not his personality and i'm thankful that that's still there um I did uh, <clears throat> leave out one example that um, during a hallucination, he thought there were intruders in the house. And there's been several times that he's thought, I need to call the police. And he, one time when I was away, he ran next door to the neighbor and said, I need to use your phone. We have intruders in the house. And Again, I was thankful that that person contacted me and uh, I was able to get right home and try to defuse the situation. But uh, he's never been abusive and verbally or just impatient, just asking me to believe him. Well, that's wonderful. And he always recognized you through these episodes. He knew who you were, correct? Yes. Well, let me just say also, um, as part of being a caregiver, I have tried to resolve every other physical problem that we've encountered. And just as a general aging, we all get older, you encounter various problems, but those problems... uh, contribute, I think, to an overall sense of well-being. And he he has always known who I was, with the exception of when another uh, interfered with that. And um, he didn't, because of that other problem, he did not know who I was, which made me extremely fearful for something else, like, like a stroke. But just as a caregiver, it's been extremely important to me to make sure that he is in the best possible physical health for his age uh, in every other situation, whether it's vision or or anything else, just to give him the best opportunity to um, experience uh, life the best we can. Great. That's great. And so tell us how things are going now for the two of you. Um, Is he still having some um, minor hallucinations? Have they all gone away? 
Well, right now, uh, like I said, we're trying to address everything that we can, and that includes, uh, I'll put in a, a, a recommendation for physical therapy and for speech therapy, just to try to round the whole thing out. But um, right now, he is doing very well. Um, I just watch for clues, like I said, that, and he, he will still do that. I will still hear, did you hear that? Or did you feel that? And the first thing is a little brief conversation about what really is happening right now. And those are my clues uh, to somehow address where we are with medication. But watching for those clues from him, he's doing extremely well. He's positive. Uh, he's not discouraged. Um, just generally a sense of well-being, knowing that we're doing everything we can. That's wonderful news. Uh, are you taking care of other um, aspects of your of, of your family um, life, the, the acts of daily living, such as uh, the, the finances or other things that he used to do? Well, I think you had asked me a question earlier about cognitive changes, and something that I omitted at that time was, uh, again, one of the first clues of the cognitive issues was he, he uh, as again, as uh, we all get older, you take different medications, and uh, I had... He had a medication uh, box like everyone does for days of the week. And one time, and he'd been taking care of that himself. And one of the first huge red flags, and this was this has been in the last six months, was I checked his medications and he had put like, just for example, three of a, a statin drug and none of another drug, and I thought, oh, my. Uh, so at that point, I took over preparing all of his daily medications that, again, <laughs> as you're older, you take more. Right. And so uh, just to make sure that those were straight because he couldn't, I don't know why, but he could not keep his medications straight as he always has all his life. And was and then, he accepting of that help? Yes, he was. Great. Great. He, I, I was able to show him. You can show physical evidence. Look, here are three of this and none of this. So, and and that's not a fun task for anybody to set out all your pills. So he, I think, was he accepted that and was relieved on that. Great. And then, as far as other responsibilities. You know, it's a it's a fine line to walk if you really, you know, you care for the person, you love the person, you want their best well-being. You walk a very fine line of let me help you with this. We'll do it together or uh, I, I one of the most important things to me, because I believe it affects quality of life, is self-esteem. And. It doesn't matter if you have Parkinson's or not. Self-esteem is important. 
And since he has always been the person that paid all of the bills and made uh, primarily financial decisions, and uh, of course with input, he he was always we were always a partner in that, but he took care of it. And you know, as as we've gotten to some cognitive decline. Uh, you know, at, at one point he he double paid a bill that was a significant amount, and uh, and again that was a clue. Okay, we need to look at this together. But I don't want to take it away from him. He's not yet at that point. I said, let's do it together. Let's talk about it because that still saves his self esteem about. I'm doing this and I'm in charge. And uh, to me, that's as important almost as, as other aspects. Sure. Well, that's terrific. Um, is there any advice that you would give uh, a caregiver that maybe uh, moving into this phase of Parkinson's with a loved one uh, where the cognitive challenges have built up and now maybe there's some, um, hallucinations and confusion developing what what advice would you give them um you mentioned some great things already but is there any other advice you would uh, try to point them in the right direction at the beginning well you know i have to say again the number one thing for me is is personally a faith in christ that uh he directs me and encourages me and in times that I do not know what to do, gives me guidance. And then secondly, is a support base. Um, I don't think any anybody can do this by themselves. Uh, a support base of uh, close friends, close family that you can reach out to. And even if... Uh, it's a phone call. Um, I'm not a person that uh, that breaks down easily, but sometimes you get to the point where you just have to reach out. And if it's a family member or your best friend, and it's okay to call them and just say, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm hurting. I'm upset. And, you know, because I'm a woman, I just cried and just kind of unloaded and that's okay because that's important but it's important to have that support base number one for me was my relationship with christ and number two is that support base that uh says is there any way we can help you anything we can do we're thinking about you we're praying for you we're here if you need anything so support base and then uh it's hard to to not emphasize confidence in your your medical providers. I'm very thankful across the board we have good primaries, good uh, specialists that help us, and uh, I'm thankful for confidence in our providers. And I'd have to say if if somebody isn't confident in that, search for another provider because the good ones are out there. And you just have to look for them, put in a little effort. And then uh, just watch the patient. 
and I believe that they can give you clues and uh, you know, just watch what they're telling you and make the adjustments necessary. And don't be afraid to use the tools that have been provided to you by your doctors. And don't get discouraged. Um, uh, I, I was just telling my husband this morning, Parkinson's never lets up. It doesn't take a vacation, doesn't take a holiday. And we have to be vigilant in what we're doing. And that that's a, a learning curve uh, to be vigilant and deal with it every day. Don't be discouraged because you can always address it and just uh, just keep going. Well, it's brilliant advice. Thank you so much for that. And you're just doing such a wonderful job um, in caregiving. And uh, the, the we can tell... Uh, the, the love that you have for your husband and how dedicated you are to him. And, and uh, it's wonderful to, to hear about um, how you've accomplished um, such great things dealing with such a terrible condition. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out and being with us on the show today and sharing these, you know, very intimate and very difficult situations that have come up in your life with uh, his Parkinson's. And again, thank you for for sharing and helping others so that we can all learn to do the best that we can to help our loved ones. Thank you. If you are learning from this podcast and enjoying the material on this podcast, Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you think we are doing a good job and deserve it, you can leave up to a five-star review of this podcast on Apple. If you would like to suggest future topics for this podcast or guests that you would like to see interviewed on this podcast, please email pdcaringhelp at gmail.com. We do not receive any funding from pharmaceutical companies or industry so that we can provide you with unbiased content and content that you can trust. These shows are brought to you at no cost to you. We thank you for your support of this podcast. This podcast is not designed to diagnose or treat any particular individual or condition but hopefully the information will help you as a loved one caring for a family member or friend with Parkinson's disease. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.